Welcome to the Tales from Travellers podcast, a show that aims to share the unique experiences of expats, travellers, and those who have chosen to make a life abroad. Through our guests' unique experiences, we will explore the challenges and rewards of adjusting to a new culture, making connections, pursuing a career, or even raising a family in a different part of the world. Whether you're a seasoned traveller or new to the expat lifestyle, this podcast could be an insightful tool or just a fun distraction for thinking about taking the leap and moving abroad. Today's guest is um, maybe a bit of a blast from the past when it comes to when it came to traveling, as my guest Alex spent a few years teaching abroad in Spain, but this was before the joys of Brexit, which we won't dive too much into, but more about the choices that led up to moving abroad. So Alex, first off, could you tell me whereabouts you are in the world right now? Hi, Greg. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, today I'm in Norfolk, uh, a little town called Hempnall, um, near Norwich, so not too far from the coast, which is quite nice. Oh, so so a, a nice scenic view compared to my glorious countryside of Hampshire. Exactly. Oh. Yeah, well, I was living in, in High Wycombe before, so a bit of a change from a town life. Yeah, town life and just hills and concrete. So walking the dogs on the beaches, which is much nicer. Exactly that. So I just want to dive into it. You've got a big background in learning Spanish. You're fluent in Spanish, last I checked. And you studied it during A-levels, university, and you even went traveling abroad with it as part of the university course. So we're going to dive into a bit more of that. But can I ask, how long did you have you studied Spanish overall before you went abroad? Ooh, that's a good question. So I remember starting in year eight of secondary school, um, just with classes at school as you would have so we'd have French and Spanish um, at my school we had to do French until year 11 until the start of sixth form um, and then we could also choose to then carry it on for A-levels um, or or not so I did French and Spanish a bit of a bit of a linguist um, so yeah I was studying from year 8 all the way till year 13 um, and then went to university to study uh, what was called Hispanic studies so it's a bit of a background of kind of Spain Latin America that kind of culture um, but also the language. Uh, so I, I studied Spanish, Portuguese and Catalan as well. So the three together at university. Um, so it must have been, oh, I don't know, almost 10 years, I think, um, that I was studying Spanish. You also mentioned that you studied French. What was the what was the draw to take uh, Spanish over French then? <clears throat> so I did do both. So I did both all the way through to the end of A-levels. Um, so I sat A-levels in English, French and Spanish, just to be that person. <laughs> um, but I decided afterwards that uh, I, I just preferred the Spanish side. I think we used to go on quite a few holidays, as a lot of um, Brits did um, back in the day to to Spain. Um, and I actually remember one time, I think I was in about maybe about year six, and the um, the taxi man was trying to speak to my parents, and they couldn't understand a single word he was saying. Um, and my sister was studying it at the time; I could say a few words, and I just thought, oh, I want to, I want to be able to do that. So it really kind of pushed me more into the Spanish side than the French side. And I think I had a bit more interest to go to Spain than I did to. France, um, mostly because of the the sunnier climate, I guess, played a part. Are you were you the uh, the the main one in the family who had this um, gift of the tongue and linguistics? Then no, my sister was was pretty good at language as well. She did Spanish all the way through to A level. I think she did French to GCSE as well. But yeah, no, so it, it kind of was was in the family. My parents can't speak a word, <laughs> uh, but seem to get by with the you know the standard beer, please <laughs> when they go when they go abroad. Um, but yeah just my, my sister and myself. And with with that kind of desire to want to learn a different language, obviously when you were young going on holidays, did you find that learning the language made you want to go abroad more or was a, a, an exchange year kind of pretty standard with university courses, isn't it? Yeah, so when you do, uh, well, before, before Brexit, I guess it was a little bit easier, but when you did any kind of um, language degree, there would usually be a four-year degree with a third year as an Erasmus year. Um, again, I don't know if Erasmus still exists. I think it exists in some kind of form, but it's not probably not the same as it used to be. Um, so then that would mean you would have a, a university swap. So there are always kind of pupils from Spanish universities over in. Um, so I studied at the University of Kent, so they're over in Canterbury. And then we would have kind of partnerships with different universities. So some in Barcelona, some all around Spain, also Latin America, we had some as well. Um, and then we had the option in the third year to either go abroad to university and kind of carry on studying. Um, as as a Spanish people would at school, at uh, university, or go and work. Um, so you kind of do any job really that they could put you in. 
And with with you was it um then um was it English as a secondary language course ESOL teacher was it was it that what you went out to work as? No, so when I went there, I, I, well, I was studying translation when I went to University of Barcelona. Um, <clears throat> so I was on the translation course that was translating from Spanish into English. Um, so it was a mix, obviously, of, of Spanish pupils and also English pupils and pupils from all over the world. Um, but also then English into Spanish as well, which is obviously a little bit trickier <laughs> than doing it the other way around, because obviously you're always more comfortable in your own language, no matter how, how fluent you can become, uh, you'll always be more comfortable in your own language. Uh, but yeah, I was studying translation there. And then yeah, it kind of led into the um, the English abroad lifestyle. And with um, with with the English abroad, was that something that you kind of planned to happen while you were studying, or was it something that kind of naturally came around as part of a kind of in the middle of your studies post uni life? Um, so no, no, it was kind of in fourth year when I got back to England. Um, <clears throat> it was it was strange actually. People talk about reverse culture shock, and I know Spain's only kind of a two hour flight away, but you do feel a bit different to, to people back home that haven't been abroad. I don't know how to explain it. It was almost like you've, you've kind of missed a year of culture moving forward or, you know, you've missed certain TV shows, you've missed Nando's, you know, people, <laughs> I, don't, I can't give an example, but yeah, there are all those kind of things coming back. And I always thought I want to, I want to go back to Spain. Um, as soon as I was back in England, I kind of wanted to get through the fourth year as soon as possible and just get back out there. Uh, so I was looking at options for probably what would be the best option and came across uh, teaching English abroad. Um, so when I finished at university in fourth year, I stayed around for another month and did a CELTA course, so the Cambridge, uh, I can't remember what CELTA stands for, but teaching English abroad. Um, yeah, completed that. I think it was about a six-week intensive course, um, which was a really, really good course. It really stands you in good stead for when you're going to teach. It's intensive and it is difficult. You know, it would be nine to five in the in the classroom and in, you know, learning, but also practicing teaching. Um, but then also study at night time, you know, you'd be writing essays from five until 12 at night. So it was kind of six weeks of six weeks of difficulty to get to get to where you want to get to. Oh, wow. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that that completely dwarfs out the um, mediocre 120 hour TEFL course that I had to do for China. But it's, um, yeah, it's, it, sorry, Greg. Oh, no, no, no. Please carry on. I was going to say it's, it's a little bit different in that with a lot of European countries, what you'll find is there is maybe a bit more demand um for teachers um what i found was the you know for example the academies in spain they really it was really big in spain to have something on your wall that said you know all of our teachers are self-qualified they're all native english people all native americans whatever it may be it was really really strong in spain it was almost like a a sign of prestige i don't know how to explain it but like um you know for the parents especially to send their kids to an academy where everyone was english everyone was qualified in this celta six-week course um yeah it was really a kind of a and they had on their walls always kind of cambridge certified teachers um so you, you kind of need it for a lot of european destinations how easy was it finding work abroad when, when you started to go back after university and doing the course um it wasn't too hard i think what i would say is probably you should maybe aim a little bit lower in your first year so because because I was at university in Barcelona I knew that the kind of the competition for jobs in Barcelona was a lot higher than it would be in other parts of Spain so I had to look a little bit inland um so the first year that I went back to Spain I was in a town called Alcoy which was it was about half an hour from Alicante so half an hour from the beach but inland in the mountains mm. um seems that not as many people kind of want to go there you know especially it, it was easier for me because obviously I'd learned the language and wanted to be part of a wanted to be part of a smaller town and kind of you know understand daily life rather than be in a city where there's loads of, loads of English people you know you can go and have your English breakfast if you want to um so there's less less competition in kind of smaller towns and yeah less less desirable places but still very very nice yeah so the more kind of rural side of things were there um is there like a online message board or a kind of like almost like a reader indeed when it comes to finding these jobs abroad that you can just look at locations, what they're looking for, apply for it through there? Or is there an agent you have to go through? No, so it was quite, I think it was tefl.org potentially. Um, I can double check that and send that to you afterwards, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it was tefl.org. Um, and that would, it was basically a big notes board of, of jobs. You put in your location um, by country, you couldn't do it by region. Um, and then you just see them every single day. So they would pop up and say kind of the amount of hours, the pay, um, the the range that you were teaching, 
Um, so I, I didn't really want to go into it and teach kids. Um, I wanted more of a kind of business English, more professional English, kind of Cambridge exam preparation, which may be kind of things like the CELTA actually lets you be able to do it maybe a little bit easier. Um, yeah, so I, so I went for that kind of thing. Oh, nice. Looping back to um, this, you mentioned like culture shock and like kind of moving back and forth between the two. What would you say was the the hunger to go back for when it came back to Spain? What, was it going out there to teach and to dive more into it or did you really want to go and explore? Was, was it working to live or living to work for you? <laughs> it's, it's a tough question because obviously when you do interviews, you have to say you're going out there because you're passionate about teaching. Um, the truth is I did enjoy teaching when I did the CELTA course. I thought, oh, actually, this could be something that I could could really get into. You know, it was a six week intensive course, but I thought I really enjoyed the time in the classroom and actually feeling like I made a difference in somebody's life and, and helped them. And then seeing any kind of improvement was was a really nice thing to see. Um, I think the truth is probably it was more to get back out to Spain, more to learn more Spanish, integrate into the culture a bit more um, whilst enjoying a, a, some of the some of the job. <laughs> yeah, some of it. <laughs> <laughs> what were the hours like for you then was it kind of like a nine to five monday to friday so you would be given a set, a set amount of hours um so i think my first year i was on 24 hours in the week um and that could be any time between monday and saturday for that school i was really lucky in that i got monday to thursday so i didn't have to work fridays and i didn't have to work the weekend um but you would have to obviously fit the hours around when the most popular times were um so it was a university town where i was so most of it was kind of after university hours. There were kind of seven until 10 o'clock at night classes. Um, there were sometimes big gaps. So you'd do kind of nine to 11.30 in the morning, then have nothing until seven o'clock at night. Um, so it's quite quite kind of bitty in a way, um, but it kind of favoured more of a, you could go out and do things. You know, you could go out for lunch if you wanted to. You could go, for, go out for a walk during the day um, and really enjoy being there. Yeah. What was the... um. Because one thing I found whilst going out and kind of teaching TEFL in China is completely different to what you were doing in Spain. Um, I was teaching um, four to seven year olds and borderline, you're you know just uh, there for more just for being the white teacher um, in the, in an expensive prep school in the middle of a rural part of China. And um, but one thing that I can't, I always took pride in, so did a lot of the teachers I was I was out there with was getting the lesson plan down and making sure that we were trying to do something fun and engaging and so we weren't just there as a gimmick um and we did spend time on lesson plans i think well we did the best we could i suppose um how did you find the lesson planning if somebody obviously with what you were doing people going out there they have quite a strong depth of kind of teaching english teaching english as, as a second language but how did you find the lesson planning side of things was it have a basic structure to follow from, from a guidebook that you were handed from the school or did you have to create everything from scratch? So most of my classes were kind of exam preparation. Um, so they would be in kind of, you know, Cambridge B2 kind of first certificate um, or they'd be in uh, C1 kind of Cambridge advanced qualifications. Um, so a lot of it was teaching in a textbook in a way, but obviously trying to make it a bit more engaging because you know when it when it gets a little bit more advanced English sometimes it can be a little bit dull um to try and teach you know phrases such as stand them in good stead um so just using a bit more kind of creativity um to how to bring it out whilst also having a textbook that you can fall back on what I did find really difficult um and I was actually really really glad of having this opportunity was before I went to Spain uh, after my fourth year of university I did two weeks in a summer school in Canterbury uh, so I was teaching kids from France and Belgium, I think they were at that time. And they were kind of primary school and, and kind of year seven and eight. Um, so that was a real shock. Um, and I'm really, really happy that I had the chance to do it there because I would spend hours lesson planning in my first kind of 10 classes where, you know, you, you almost over prepare because you think I need to get through this, this, this and this in this certain way. You know, I need to do all of my methods I've learned from my course all in one class and try and squeeze it all into one um, and not really think about, you know, pupils and, and kind of how it happens. You know, you don't think, oh, there could be a five minute gap here because someone's thrown a pen at somebody's head. You know, there was none of that kind of that, that real shock when you actually get into the classroom sometimes of these real people. <laughs> you know, there's, there's there's kind of things that do go on. Um, in the classroom um, but yeah so once I got to Spain I had that experience I'd been really thrown in the deep end and really kind of struggled um, to start with 
because when it's a real life it's different to being on a course you know you can rely we kind of had 20 minute gaps of teaching while we were on the course but in the real world you know you've got an hour and a half sometimes to fill with <laughs> with kids who are abroad and maybe don't want to be in the class they want to be you know out exploring um so i'm glad i had that opportunity and then by the time i got to spain i kind of i'd gone through the worst um so yeah to anyone who's kind of thinking about going out um and traveling i'd always say if you have the opportunity to just do even a couple of weeks one week um in the uk at a summer school before you go definitely give it a go because it really really will teach you a lot um about how it works no, i mean that, that that's a good chat i don't think i could but um my mum was a bit more on a whim um with you you mentioned you had students coming over from france and belgium as well so i'm assuming english they wasn't there they weren't fantastic at it were, were they kind of passable at it or was it french and speaking belgian yeah so when i was at that was the one at, at canterbury the summer school um it was a tricky one because it was lower level pupils and they would try to teach to speak to you in their first language and i mean there were kids that you know I, I could understand spanish i could work out some things from some languages you know italian kids would, would shout at you in italian <laughs> in the back of the classroom and you could pick out words um but yeah when it was because there, there were pupils from from everywhere so i had yeah from belgium uh we had some from um dubai as well that i think came over that obviously if they're speaking to you in their first language it's a, it's a, you, you don't know how to react when you're first in the classroom because you're trying to make them speak english but their level's so low that you know it's not comfortable for them um so trying to find that progress and move through um is a real challenge especially if it's a group that's mixed um so sometimes i had a group that was mixed so you'd have one kid from france you know one kid from belgium one kid from the middle east um all didn't speak the same first language as each other but that kind of pushed them i think to to speak English in the class because they couldn't just turn to their friend and speak in Italian to them or whatever it may be. Must have been a bit of a, a interesting kind of almost classroom environment if the kids can't even talk behind your back to someone else. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No. So it was it was a real struggle for them. So obviously they need to they come into the class they're quite shy. You know, it's it's odd for them. They're in a different country, speaking a different language that they've obviously learned at school, but using it in a real life scenario is, is completely different to learning something in, in the classroom. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I still remember the only thing I, I managed to learn when I was learning French, we went on an end of year school trip was how, you know, what time is it? And I managed to learn basic times, but yeah, doing that in a classroom versus actually asking someone that you're you know, bricking it about. Yeah. I can imagine what it must be like in an environment when other kids from other countries who don't speak the language think that you're cocking up a language that they're not fluent in as well. It's, yeah, exactly. so they, yeah it's, it's a strange one so i did do um i know obviously we'll, we'll speak more about the spain side but i did do a few summers um in the uk as well with those kind of mixed mixed groups um which really you know every time i came back from spain for the summer i'd always go into canterbury and teach at one of the the summer schools for around six weeks um it was just completely different because you'd have all those mixed mixed classrooms yeah and did um before we go back on Spain, did having those mixed students, mixed nationalities coming in for those different summers you were there, did that ever make you want to go and like teach your kind of to be an English teacher in another country outside of Spain and and like Portugal and yeah. what you weren't fluent in? Yeah, I did think about it. Um, I always thought, you know, if I could just go somewhere where I couldn't speak a word, I always thought it'd be quite exciting um, and try it out. But you know, I did, I did end up going back to Spain just because it was something I guess I was, it was familiar but different in that I could speak the language. And, you know, I still, every time I went back there, I wanted to improve more, you know, I had friends there in the end. So, yeah, that was, that was important for me. But yeah, each, each summer I'd come back, it was those mixability classes. Um, and it would, it would really kind of improve you as a teacher as well, because when, when you're in one country, I could almost see the errors before the pupils made the errors because I knew right in Spanish and English, this is a, a false friend or whatever. It's, it sounds similar, but it doesn't mean the same thing. And you could see those errors coming. But when you were teaching someone from UAE, for example, and I had no idea of their language at all, you, it was just so much harder to understand kind of why they were making that error, how you could improve it. So yeah, as a teacher, it really, because I could teach Spanish kids well, because I knew what I could say that would make them understand if there was a word that was similar, you know, mm. in, instead of saying, make something easier, you say to facilitate, facilitate something, you know, that would be what a Spanish kid would understand. But a kid from Dubai would have no idea what I meant if I said facilitate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I 
So I mean, it definitely sounds like it was it was a time where you were almost committed to it. You wanted to keep going back to Spain, and it you know just hearing that kind of story, it almost seemed like you were preparing to spend a bit of a longer time abroad. How, how long did you spend going back and forth to Spain then? So after that first year that I explained in Alcoy, um, I finished at that school after that year um, and wanted a little bit of a challenge. So I wanted to go back to Barcelona where I was at university um, and then found a school um, just outside of Barcelona. So it was around 25, 25 minutes on the train, uh, a city called Terrassa, uh, which I was quite familiar with because when I was in Barcelona before, I kind of, again, lived just outside. So I knew kind of the train stops and all things like that. So I knew where I was. Um, so yeah, I went back there and I was there for oh, I don't know, uh, two years at that school. So it was one year university, one year Alcoy, and then two years near Barcelona, so four years in total. But not not to cut to the end of the story, but what made you decide it was kind of like time to, you know, just come back to England and kind of like start a life again? Was it just homesickness? Did you think there were more opportunities long term in England? I think so. Yeah, I think I got to a stage where, I don't know, maybe it wasn't as exciting as it was when I first went out there um I think it was more a case of you know the whole the whole point of kind of the traveler lifestyle a lot of the time was you know it's different you kind of maybe struggled a little bit with money but kind of you could get by you know you had enough money to to go out with friends go out for a few drinks have a bit of dinner at the weekend you know go to the beach but there was only kind of so many years that I could do that I think and I wanted to come home to England and I felt like I wanted to, to own something you know I wanted to have a car I wanted to have a house um but I actually came back to England and thought Completely the opposite. After a few weeks, I thought, oh, I wish I was back in Spain. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I didn't. Wish I didn't have a bloody car to pay petrol on. <laughs> no, I, I know exactly. It's also almost like a reverse homesickness. You kind of miss those sights and sounds, that sense of freedom. And as 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 weird as it also sounds, not being tied down by things like as weird as it sounds, things like Netflix as well. You know, you're kind of in such a comfort zone when when you come back to what you know. Um, yeah, and it, yeah, it's di- different timetable, different everything. You know, even. Because you do, you do have to adapt to the place you are. You know, I had gaps between one and three and I had gaps, well, I didn't finish till kind of 10 o'clock at night. So you had to eat your dinner at two o'clock, you know, then you had another dinner at 10 o'clock. Yeah, it was, you really had to kind of live like that because your work schedule was the same as theirs. Um, so yeah, when you really come home and eating in my family, <laughs> eating at five o'clock, <laughs> it was really a, a big change. Oh, so you mentioned that you're out in Alicante, you're out in Barcelona, two very different areas. As you mentioned, one was quite rural and one obviously a bit more of the cityscape. Everyone kind of knows of Barcelona and with, with Spain as a whole, it's a very tourist hotspot for Brits. When you were in Alicante, what were the main bits of pastime as I'm, I'm without knowing it, quite rural? How did you, what did you go about in your free time and things to have for fun? So I was uh, 25 minutes from Alicante, so in a town called Alcoy, which was really, really small. You know, it was a mountain town. You know, what people did there was they'd go and walk in the mountains. That was kind of <laughs> kind of the thing to do. You know, you walk around shops at the weekend. Um, not, much, not much different to here, if I'm completely honest. You know, you'd, you'd look around some new things, but then you could also escape so easily to, you know, amazing mountains that you wouldn't expect to have <clears throat> so close to a, to a tourist centre. Um, you could then, you know, it was quite easy to travel around. So there were two options on on the train nearby, which was to go to Valencia, which is another big city. So that was only an hour and a half away on the train because it was a very slow train. It was about a half hour drive, but an hour and a half on the train. And that's, that's Spain for you. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, you could go, to, go into Valencia or Alicante, the actual city, which was, you know, beach, kind of eternal sunshine, you know, even the winter's lowest, kind of 15, 16 degrees. So, yeah, it was a really nice kind of, escape did you ever get um invest in a little moped or anything or you public transport all the way so i didn't no i was i was only public transport then i kind of wish i did now because i think when i was out there i was only kind of 21 22 potentially um and i've never rented a car before and i think i'd I'd always kind of looked at it but there were always extra charges for people under 25 um you know so i felt i'll just use public transport while i was there but now looking back i wish you know the freedom you'd have with having a car would would really change it but i think kind of the, to be completely realistic the salary as a teacher in spain would let you have a fun lifestyle you know you'd be able to buy whatever you wanted but you wouldn't be able to buy a big purchase like a car or a house um realistically mm. and then in comparison what was life in uh, in the social and pastime when it came to barcelona i mean 
everyone knows about Barcelona, but how, what was so different about it? Obviously, bigger besides it being a bigger city, what, what was your lifestyle like? Uh, there was a bit more going on. Again, um, I was a little bit out of the centre. So again, I was in a mountain town. I seemed to follow the mountain towns everywhere. Um, so there were huge, you know, massive mountains nearby. And it was, it was places that people don't discover when they go to Barcelona. You know, they don't go. If you go to a city centre, you don't usually sit on a train for half an hour and go outside of the city centre. So it was more, you know, there weren't English people in, in the town that I lived in, apart from people who worked in the school that I was working at um, or another within the town. Um, so yeah, it was more kind of, yeah, it was a historic town, so there were nice cathedrals, everything everywhere. There was a huge park that ran through the centre, so you could just walk and walk in the park. Um, obviously, the mountains, you could go on all kinds of different hikes. Um, being in Barcelona, it was really well connected as well, so you could get into the city. Um, obviously, people know Barcelona, you know, it's, it's beach and city together, so it was kind of a perfect perfect mix. So in the winter, you could have, you, know, you got some some nice bars, got the food, whereas in the summer, you could go down to the beach and just just walk. I mean, what what I really liked about it is you could just walk for walk for miles and you know just be a completely different place to the last one, um, and then find something different all of the time. So yeah, it's a bit more maybe a bit more adventurous than you would be around here, especially now back living in Norfolk. You know, you got to drive half an hour to get to the Tesco's, <laughs> whereas there it was kind of you know you'd walk for twenty minutes and you'd be at a new. Don't know, something something new and exciting. There was kind of a, a surprise round of the corner. Well, and well, and yet a time where you're doing it, which which for you, I bet you enjoy thoroughly. Exactly, but it's it's funny actually you say that because when you when you do go there and when you do work there, so a lot of the days. So I was working Monday to well, in my first year I had to work Monday to Thursday and then Saturday morning. Uh, in my second year, as a treat, you get Monday to Friday, um, which wasn't too bad. You know, it wasn't too bad working a Saturday morning because it was only kind of eight to 11 and then you were free for the rest of the day um but you kind of avoid the sun a little bit as stupid as it sounds it was almost like if you're going to work you don't want it to be 40 degrees outside and yeah. you know I, I used to walk 20 25 minutes from my house to the school so there were three schools it was quite a big a big one that i worked at across the city that i was living in um so it used to be a 25 minute walk to the furthest away one so yeah, you know, you didn't want to get too hot and sweaty before teaching a class of, of 10 people. While we're talking about going around the city, going to all the different schools, did you go out there with a fellow group of, say, English teachers going out there to work, or did you meet up with people when you're out there? Um, so before, so the, if we cut back to the first year, I'll say, to the one um, in the town near Alicante. So I just found it on the tefl.org, as I said before. Um, it was quite lucky in that the... I think they're called Director of Studies, a lot of Director of Studies when you're teaching English abroad. They were from Scotland, so she was from Scotland, and she had lived in that town for kind of 20, 25 years, I think. Um, so she would look around flats, look around everything, so that everything was ready by the time you got there, which was really, really helpful. She started a WhatsApp group, I think it was, with other people that were going to be teaching there that year. So it was only three or four of us um, that were teaching there. So it was just a case of, you, know, you could say hello, you could find out a little bit more before you met them, and then she arranged for everyone to meet on the second day there, um, just for a, a drink and some food, and then, yeah, it really went from there. Again, when, you, when you're in a small town like that, it was you do tend to stick together a little bit, mm. um, as opposed to, you know, on the Barcelona side where everyone was living everywhere. Um, but yeah, in the smaller towns, you tend to stick together as, as it's kind of your comfort blanket, I guess, of having fellow English-speaking people around. Yeah. And did you, obviously, if they were a bit further abroad when it came to Barcelona, did you find yourself making a lot of, say, Spanish friends, people from Barcelona that you would hang out with frequently, or do you stick with So them? I had a few. Yeah, I had a few. Um, it was it was quite difficult to make friends, if I'm completely honest. I don't know if it was me or, <laughs> or living there. Um, but, yeah, I think you, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's really nice to go out there, but you are different in some ways you know you're very very similar in a lot of ways but you still don't have a lot of the time the same sense of humor you know you don't know the same music as them a lot of the time so there's it's sometimes hard to find a connection there were a few people that I met that actually funnily some of them I was their teacher um because I was teaching more adults you know they were the same age as me and then we became friends afterwards from that um but the problem is they tend they tend to speak to you in English because it's what you're used to in the class so it's quite difficult to find someone from there that you can practice your Spanish with because everybody wants to practice their English and because they've learned it all the way through school. You know, they 
they just feel more confident speaking it, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, just people like pointing you out, making getting you. You're aware that you're different when you're going out and speaking Spanish. I mean, I, I've 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 been lucky enough to hear you speak it, so I know that you're you're quite fluent. But were would people still catch you out? I know that when you go to certain countries, if you try and speak in their language, as much as they respect it, everyone wants to try and their English. Did you find something similar? Like if you went out to dinner, ordering food, you speak in Spanish, but they come back to you in English. Yeah, and it's it's a way of them trying to be friendly. But I think when you're trying to learn a language, it actually really annoys you. And it's something that I found probably the most annoying about living abroad is that you could say a full sentence in Spanish to somebody, you know, they completely understand you and then they re- reply in English with the answer. And you think, well, you just heard me speak span- uh, a sentence in Spanish. And it's people, they're, they're trying to be friendly. You know, it's what they're kind of familiar with, especially in the big cities. They're just not used to it. Um, One thing that was actually interesting in Barcelona as well is that so the official language of Barcelona is Catalan, so they've got Catalan and Spanish. Um, but as an English person going there, you know, nobody really knows what Catalan is, but I studied it at university as well, so I would really want to practice that because obviously that was lower than my, my Spanish level. But they would kind of hear you speak it and they would reply in Spanish. So it was kind of like they knew you weren't from there, but they'd still speak to you in the other language, which was really odd. I think it's just a natural thing that, that happens um, because obviously they feel like you've probably been more confident in in spanish than catalan yeah yeah um educate me a little bit T- tell me a bit more about catalan is that kind of like one of those languages that is fairly similar almost like when people would speak like um cantonese and mandarin in a way they're very similar in a way but one's perhaps more complicated there are similar words i wouldn't say that you know if you can speak spanish you probably you, you would struggle to understand catalan because the accent the way of speaking is completely different even if a word is similar you know, a lot of things are the same, like hello, thank you, you know, the basics are, are very, very similar. Um, but yeah, the so, so in Barcelona, they feel very, very strongly about speaking Catalan. Um, Barcelona city is not as much as kind of the smaller towns. You know, if you're in a rural town, people wouldn't want to speak to you in Spanish a lot of the time. They'd really want to be proud of the place that they are and speak to you in, in what they feel to be their their main language. Um so it's a good, go a bit historical, if that if that's good. So obviously I wrote all of my essays and dissertations on this. So Catalan was kind of, it did exist before as a language called Occitan, which is kind of similar to Latin in a way. And then it came into to Catalan, but it was really, really kind of forbidden in Spain, even in recent years, you know, so they had the dictatorship between 1939 and 1975, where Catalan was completely forbidden. You know, it was illegal to speak that language. And I'm, that's not even that long ago, you know, less than 50 years ago. So, you, so the old older people that you would see had lived in a, in a dictatorship you know and they really kind of had that different view on it and it felt felt very very strongly that younger people had to speak Catalan to keep it up um but it's huge I mean it was it was the first language of the majority of people you know it's not like obviously here we have things like Welsh um where you know maybe in more rural towns a lot of people speak it but if you go to somewhere like Cardiff you probably won't hear it as much um as you maybe would would used to Mm. Um, but yeah, Catalan. If you were sat on the train in Barcelona, the majority of everything you'd be hearing would be in Catalan. All the announcements have to be in Catalan and then Spanish afterwards, uh, so they have to put it in both. Um, but yeah, the majority of everything you'd hear would be in Catalan. Obviously, you're saying it was the the weaker of the languages you knew. While you were out there, did you become much more fluent in it, or again, did the fact they were coming back to you in English hinder your progress? Um, yeah, I think I did get better at it because it's more the 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 best practice was the everyday thing you know so speaking to a landlord something like that to i remember the first time i tried to walk into so the the landlords owned a bar um and had to walk in there and say that the handle on the drawer in the bathroom was falling off or something and i thought i speak spanish but i don't know how to say handle and i didn't know how to say drawer at the time i completely forgot so you're you're in somewhere trying to explain it you know and, and it was then it was a mix of two languages so i knew some in catalan some in spanish so it was kind of a you know you're saying the the thing that you pull you know to try and save the draw and really trying to force yourself um was was when you would learn the most because then they'd respond to you you know and, and when they understood you you thought yeah okay yeah, I, I explained it well you know it's trying to find those other ways to say things sometimes that would would help you improve absolutely in awe about it. I mean obviously when I when I went abroad I didn't have the slightest clue about how to speak um speak Mandarin so a lot of the time it was using Google Translate so um just the sheer fact you managed to find your workaround my workaround was all thanks to a VPN so I guess you probably <laughs> had a little less stress but also I mean you've obviously got went way more prepared into it 
mentioned we we've mentioned about the reverse culture shock and you going out there doing these kind of workarounds in terms of learning like with Catalan that you weren't as fluent in. Was there anything else besides obviously the language side of things that was was culture shock, something that hit you by, by surprise that you had to adapt to while you were out there? Yeah, so I'll go back to the first time I was out there. So that was Erasmus year at university. I think I was 19, 20 years old. So still relatively young and inexperienced in the world. Um, and going out to university in Spain, getting into a shared flat with the five of us, four of them, the three Spanish and one uh, Brazilian guy. And it was kind of the first time I'd really spoken Spanish in the real world. You know, I'd, I'd obviously been on holiday and you know, this holiday talk, which isn't the same as everyday life you know can you clean the bathroom can you get your hair out of the sink <laughs> these are all real conversations by the way <laughs> um not to me to somebody else um and just yeah just just really trying to get by in the everyday life and and speak the language for real um and one thing that really shocked me was a lot of the time at university people would actually share rooms um so obviously you'd share your flat but also i had to share a bedroom um but it was really weird, I have to admit, you know, it was, but it's, it's a bit more normal there um, to save on costs. But yeah, I just remember the first day. So I, I got into the, the flat first and I thought oh, I might be lucky. Nobody's going to be in that empty bed on the other side of the room. Two days later, um, yeah, this, this guy walks in with his suitcase. I'm half asleep <laughs> with the covers off <laughs> in my pants. <laughs> and that's a, that's a rude awakening. Yeah, that's when you really... That's when you really practice your language skills. <laughs> do, do you scream in panic and holy shit in Spanish or did you do it in English? Well, the thing is, he didn't tell me until two hours later when I was awake. Um, and he told me I saw your butt crack. Oh, wow. In, in, in Spanish, I'm guessing. So you understood it. Yes, he, he did. Yeah, but he'd done the Erasmus here in Bristol himself as well. So he was speaking, he was studying English. But um, yeah, it was nice because obviously he knew what it was like. So when I was there, you know, he made a real effort just to only speak to me in Spanish. Um, unless I was really struggling for a word and then maybe I'd say it in English and then we'd try and find a find a way. So that was a good kind of entrance, I think, to living abroad. And then but besides being caught off guard while you were asleep in your room, <laughs> were there was there any moments, let's say outside of your apartment, that kind of really caught you by surprise? And for, I mean, for, for me, I mean, it was more geographical, not knowing my way around. And obviously, besides me not having a having the language barrier, did you have a panic when you got on the first bus or were in that first year for Erasmus, did you get given a guide? Yeah, no, I remember it being quite, quite odd. Um, and I was, because I was quite young, you know, I remember always people saying to me, you know, I'll be careful in Barcelona, it's for the pickpockets, all things like that, which obviously you do have to be careful when you go to any big city, you know, it's like the same as going to London. And so almost kind of people put that fear in your mind. Um, so I remember the first time going into the centre of Barcelona and just feeling like, everybody's out to get you you know every, even though it's full of tourists every, every, you always think oh who, what's he doing you know what's he looking at um yeah you soon you soon get over that kind of thing yeah I mean I mean not me I mean as you mentioned even in London I, I still tend to pick uh, or check my pocket to make sure that someone on the underground hasn't got me but um yeah I mean I think that's the main thing I mean just kind of touching on that when you you mentioned certain places big cities people do tend to get a bit fear in because they they especially in England and America, they, they get probably traumatised by what they see on TV when it comes to pickpockets of Barcelona, places like Brazil. And um, I mean, were there any kind of these cliche things, like as you mentioned, pickpockets, that you just go, actually, this isn't true. It's completely different when you're here. Yeah, I think it, I think it depends on the situation. Obviously, pickpocketing is a huge problem in Barcelona, as it is in a lot of cities, but especially in Barcelona. And I think it's just about trying to be sensible. You know, you, you would see people and sometimes think well, that's a target for pickpocketing. You know, you'd see people with their cameras hanging around their neck. They weren't kind of looking where they were going, you know, with a thousand pound camera hanging around them. Um, you see people with kind of their wallets sticking out of the pocket and you're almost thinking, are you asking to be pickpocketed? So it's more, you know, when you're walking in certain places, you kind of put your hands in your pockets or you know, these people are very, very clever. So if they want to get you, they probably would get you anyway. Um, but it's more kind of trying to avoid like you would in everyday life, trying to avoid those situations that could put you in potential danger. Um, but yeah, it, was, it wasn't it was that much of an issue. You know, Spain and England are kind of similar in quite a few ways. It, I guess it would be worse maybe if you're going to a what would be considered maybe a third world country com com compared to, you know, Spain. Yeah, you, you're making it sound like you, you almost learned the gift of grifting when it came to pickpocketing people, keeping an eye out for marks and targets there. Did you, did you, did you learn your way? I became a pickpocketer, actually. Yeah, that's why I wasn't worried because I I was the 
I was the danger. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you can cut, cut that bit out. <laughs> no, I, think, I, think I am the one. That. I am the one who knocks. <laughs> <laughs> what what what's Spanish for pickpocket? That's a good question. I can't remember. You see, oh. I, this is the problem with this is the problem with coming back. Um, it will come back to me in about two minutes. But I, I constantly, the really strange thing since I've come back that, you know, it's been years, and especially with COVID, since I've actually gone to Spain and practice. You know, we went to Barcelona back last year. Um and even though you still recognise everywhere, it's still getting getting your voice back and getting your confidence back. I think not being there, you lose that confidence to speak the language again and you have to get back and get into it. You know, but leaving these big gaps between it, it's really it's a struggle. And you do forget words. You know, it's it you you do remember obviously most of the things, but the more kind of technical words that you would see on a day to day basis, you know, walking around you they, they go out of your mind sometimes but if somebody said it i knew exactly what the word was but yeah no i've lost it well that, that kind of brings me on to the next question i wanted to ask about in, in do you still use um obviously the spanish that you spent years learning and and honing your skills do, are there moments in your day-to-day now besides wanting to go back to spain where you use it it's quite sad because not nowhere near as much as i wanted to you know i had these dreams to get into kind of translation uh, when I finished university and wanted to be working with languages on a day-to-day basis. Um, I do use the skills I learned from learning languages, you know, the communication skills of, well, so now I work in marketing and you need those kind of communication skills sometimes to sell something to the senior leadership team. Um, a lot of that came from the confidence of, of speaking a different language um, to people, but I do use it sometimes. So Robin, my partner, her um, grandparents are Spanish live in Tenerife and they can't speak English so it's funny because I send all of the messages to them from her um so yeah I still I still have maybe once a week a message or something that we send across yeah and um I mean are you, are you not to like jump ahead but are you planning on going back to Spain you mentioned you went there last year for a holiday but I mean is there any plan to do it again or is it just going to be more of a holiday holiday destination from now on for you I would never say never to quote Justin Bieber. Um, I think that um, it would be an interesting return. Um, you know, there's always those times where you think you just want to run away and have a little bit less stress in your life. Um, I think if I did go back, I definitely, probably, definitely, probably, I definitely wouldn't teach English. Um, it just became a bit too much. I don't think teaching is a career for me personally. Um, I really sympathise with with teachers on the day on, in a kind of real primary schools. Um, so yeah, I think there's always a possibility that I could go back. You know, my, um, my granddad has a house out in Tenerife as well. So I'm going to visit there at the end of this month. Um, and yeah, it's just a, just a place that we kind of go to once or twice a year, I guess. Yeah. And well, as, as you mentioned, you've got, um, family relative with a house out there. You've got obviously Robin's pet, Robin's parents. Um, Spain, Spain has always kind of been one of those countries when you're English anyway, um, it's almost like the go-to place to have a holiday. It's a go-to place to retire. I mean, I think there is a huge percentage of Brits who have retired to places like the Costa del Sol. Whilst you were out there, obviously not when it came to the town near Alicante, as you mentioned, was a bit more rural and isolated. But in Barcelona, did you find yourself bumping into a lot of, obviously, Brits who have moved out there to open up their bar or those who have retired? Did you, did you bump into them? And did you also find yourself see you are going out there to learn teach the language learn the language and the culture did you find yourself kind of eye rolling at the fact that oh god there's so many just tourists there do you know what there's certain places in barcelona so obviously there's the rambler in barcelona which is like the main street that i couldn't stand it i hated it you know and the thing was that there were kind of all these restaurants and you know they were a scam you know you'd ask for a beer they'd come out of a beer that was this big and charge you 20 euros you know when you'd go to spain and everything's kind of one or two euros you expect um, so that used that used to really annoy me. It used to annoy me when people didn't kind of make the effort to try a little bit harder. You know, they'd just go to the the Irish pub or they'd go to the English bar. You know, or the fish and chip shop that was in Barcelona. But Barcelona is not quite like kind of you know your Benidorms or anywhere like that where everywhere's English. You know, Barcelona still maintains it a lot, but it's still it's more kind of there's more tourist traps. I'd say you know you get a everywhere you go has got an authentic paella and sangria you know on the menu but it's not kind of it's not right if that makes sense so that that kind of really bugs me and it was more it bugged me more that you know they were taking advantage of of tourists in quite a lot of ways it was the tourist fault in that they weren't looking further or doing any research beforehand but 
there was quite a lot of taking advantage of tourists, and I really didn't like that in Barcelona. Yeah, I mean, um, again, when you've got the Brits go out there to retire, I guess you, could, you can't help them wanting to take advantage, but no, I agree. And, I mean, I suppose, suppose that when it came to... Did you find many... The teachers would go out there to, like, study like you did. Did you find many teachers were looking or had been out there for many years and that's now their life, their career? Or do you think it's a very short-term piece? There were quite a few. Yeah, so there were, you know, quite a few English, Australian, Americans that had been there 20, 30 years, you know, and had kind of settled into the lifestyle, but still, you know, hadn't bought a house, didn't have a car, a lot of the times, things like that. Not That's not important mm -hmm. by any means, but it was almost like that they were there and they were still kind of living that same life that I was living for those couple of years. Um, you know, so there were quite a few, quite a few people like that. Um, but yeah, and then you'd have your, your people like, like myself and a few others that would kind of come and go, you know, you'd be there a year or two to enjoy it, but then maybe move on to somewhere else. But then there were people who stayed for a long time. Yeah. And while you're obviously out there for the, for the, for the years that you were, was there any particular moment? And this is one that, you know, you might not be able to come to your head. Was there a moment that always comes to your mind when you realize, yeah, I'm, I'm in Barcelona, I'm in Alcantara, I'm in Spain, I'm doing something so different where you just sat back and kind of almost reflected upon yourself? That's a good question. I'm trying to think. Um, <clears throat> I think the first one actually was, because obviously I had university there in the first place, so I'm thinking more when I was teaching there, um, was go kind of going to a fair of a small town. It sounds like a really small thing, but they really put on any any kind of party, any kind of carnival, anything was a huge party in Spain. Uh, so it's a fair of this small town just down the road from where I, was, where I was staying. And I thought, wow, okay, I'm really, really kind of here now. You know, it was all kind of local sellers and things like that. And you wouldn't hear an English voice for 20 miles probably. Um, yeah, I think that's when I thought, wow, okay, I've really, I've really moved here. I've done it. Yeah. I've completed life. <laughs> <laughs> Just fist bumping the sky, beer on a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, but yeah, that was, that was good. Yeah, and then um, kind of since you've since you were out there and you were working, you were teaching at, at, as you mentioned, kind of pre Brexit kind kind of life. Um, the work, the world itself has become a lot smaller. People are able to go to these, go to like see countries, see amazing sites, all through their phone, through TikTok, through Instagram, and social media has made the world feel a lot smaller. But you've always been someone that, to me anyway, has always had that appetite to not look at it through a phone, but go to go places and experience the cultures, see the world. Since Spain, obviously, I, your your heart and a lot of it seems to be in Spain. But has how many other countries have you? kind of visited since um your travel days so when i got back from spain um, i did a final summer in canterbury kind of sort of final teaching and then i actually did um so there was a local company in canterbury that what they did is they worked with secondary schools around the world um on kind of one week two week courses so it was instead of them coming to england you would go to their country and teach uh, so I signed up for that. I think I signed up for four weeks. So you could sign up for a length of time. It's really cool, actually. Quite quite a cool thing to do. Obviously, if you sign up for longer, they send you to Japan, you know, a little bit further further afield. But if you sign up for a few weeks, they'll probably send you to somewhere in Europe. Um, so yeah, I signed up to that. And two weeks later, I was in a tiny town in Slovenia teaching English in a, in a secondary school. Um, so yeah, I did that for two weeks in Slovenia. That was incredible. Honestly, that was amazing. Um, completely different experience to Spain. And, you know, everyone there, would speak to you in Slovene I think <laughs> I think was the language sorry I should know that um and kind of you know it was it was a language I had absolutely no idea on anything you know if someone spoke to me in French Italian more kind of those romance languages then I'd pick out a few words but you know completely clueless so that's when I really kind of felt lost so I did two weeks in Slovenia teaching English which was amazing and then I was sent to Germany um so I was near Berlin for one week and the other week was in a really small town of Germany kind of near it was about an hour from Munich I think um that was amazing again completely different experience and you know trying to get by in a language that you can't speak a word of and after a week you know just picking up the hellos thank yous um one beer please <laughs> where's the toilet um those kind of simple bits and bobs um but yeah that's an experience I definitely recommend because that was that it was really exciting because every Thursday you get an email telling you next week you're here um, because they were trying to arrange it all the time. So you're waiting for email on the first evening, where am I going to be next week? They'd obviously try and make it as close as possible, but sometimes you have to go country to country, which I preferred. So they would send, send you on a Thursday. 
and on a Friday you would stay the final night where you were then you had until Sunday to get to the place but they'd pay for your accommodation so they'd tell you the the best way to get there on the train so the kind of the cheapest way and the best way um but you could look yourself if you wanted to so they could say you know we recommend you go from here to here and you stay in this town in Austria for the night for example but I love looking at things like that. So I would do some research and find kind of the coolest place that you go to between the two and still make it within the budget that they'd give you for the for the um, accommodation and everything. So, yeah, I would take a stop off in Austria, go up to there. And yeah, that was really, that was very cool. So was it going backpacking on someone else's dime? That doesn't sound like a bad exactly way to go. Exactly that. <laughs> yeah, so you had your accommodation budget, which was quite generous, actually, and then a travel budget, which was based on the kind of the quickest journey that you could do between the two. But, you know, if you did your research, you could find even better options and try something new so after after germany before you decided to come home did, did they give you that one last email and then you were just like no do you, do you remember what country it was no so you sign up for a certain amount of weeks they do offer you while you're there you know they'll, they'll say to you oh we're looking for teachers for another two weeks would you like to or you might get an email that says we're short in austria this week would you like to come out there in a few weeks time um so you could you can sign up for as long as you want and they give you it until basically until they don't have enough to give you. Um, but yeah, that was incredible. So people would sign up. You could sign up for every two years, you know, but obviously you don't know where you're going to be the next week, but sometimes you'd get longer contracts. So you'd have kind of nine months in Japan was a popular one. That's then not... who knows where you'd be next. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah. And um, so, I mean, what made you want to not sign up for a bit longer? Was it, again, just coming back to the case that you wanted to come home and get your car and get your own petrol? Or was it, again, just a short-term thing you wanted to see another country? Yeah, so that was it. So somebody was actually telling me about it when I was in summer school in Canterbury, and I thought, oh, that's so cool. Should I give it a go? Should I not? Because, you know, I'd given up on Spain. And I thought, well, there's a few weeks before I can be bothered to look for a job back home. So, yeah, I'm just going to sign up for a few weeks and see how it is, you know, going completely on my own and see what I can find um and really kind of put myself out there a bit more because obviously Spain was a bit of a comfort blanket as much as it was different to me you know it was somewhere that I was quite familiar with by the time I got there um so yeah that, that was that was the reason and then I just did did the four weeks and thought I'm going to look for a, a job back home now yeah so outside of obviously having learning all the skills you mentioned about learning another language having that that sense of communication being able to talk to that the jobs you're in now would you say that the traveling helped benefit you in your in your life in your career do you say that would have changed you as opposed to you just staying in england i think so i think it makes you more confident you know it's 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 a scary thought the first time that someone says you get on a 14 hour journey between slovenia and germany and you think i don't know any of these places between these two places you know even though you know it's probably not not dangerous or anything it's still nerve-wracking to to be able to do that on your own um and i think a lot of people don't kind of put themselves out there and do that either because they don't want to or because it is it's quite scary quite scary to be honest and especially kind of the further away you go probably the scarier it gets um but yeah i think that really built confidence to be able to talk to people um to be able to do things on your own um and yeah, really put yourself in challenging situations. I think it's reflected in kind of work that I do now that I'm always one that says, I don't know how to do that, but I'll give it a go. You know, I really want to kind of always just try and learn new things. And yeah, that, that's probably helped by traveling on my own. Oh, very nice. Yeah, that, that's such a motivational piece though. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be my title. Um but obviously, I think a lot of people, especially as they get older, I know I'm kind of guilty of a lot of people, I really wish they'd learn another language. Um, obviously, you have. Um, but do you think that it's something that people should learn? I mean, not not just for the sake of it being an educational course, obviously learning it, you know, GCSE, SATs in school. But do you think there's a real benefit to learning another language? I think so. Yeah, I think it really encourages you to use your brain in different ways um you know even not even learning an own a different language sometimes even studying your own language a little bit better really helps you improve communication really gives you an understanding of the structure of things and i do like kind of the structure of things you know while we're speaking now knowing that i'm using a particular tense you know i, I, I love all that kind of grammatical side and i think it is important to know um because you know when you do go into professional careers as well a lot of my job is kind of proofreading copywriting as well and just making sure that you know, it's using the correct tense, you know, there's a hyphen in the right place. Even even studying your own language gives you those 
those communication skills. Yeah. What would you say apps like uh, Duolingo and like was it Drip? Do you think they're they're useful apps to have, or do you think there are better ways for people to learn? It's tough because they are good. You know, they they teach you the certain words, but they do always teach you some, some random things sometimes. You know, the horse likes apples, um, which you know are things that are good to know. But really, real life situations. Um, if you want to learn a language, you have to immerse yourself in the culture and the language of the place. You have to just hear it day by day because, you know, even sat on a train, you'd hear a conversation coming from over there and you think, oh, don't know that word. But from the context of the sentence, I know it means that, you know, just literally moving around every day you're learning. Um, this is this is pretty, really bad to say, but I always used to say when I was at university at Erasmus, I would learn more. <laughs> I would learn more if I skipped university for the day and sat in the flat and spoke to the people that were there than I would by going to the class. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good a good um, promotion for Erasmus years, but it was just you know speaking to people on a day by day daily basis um, with more kind of common language that you would use than the formal language you'd use in the classroom. Yeah, no, I mean I I agree. I've always thought it's better to immerse yourself, and there's only so much you can learn with people kind of talking at you again from a textbook. So um, yeah, definitely. And Obviously, you, you had the benefit of knowing the language before you went traveling, but would you say it's absolutely vital to ha- to know a language or just have the, say, bare-bone basics when you go traveling? I think the, the basics are polite, you know, to be able to, to speak to people. I think I struggled when I went to Slovenia because I didn't even know how to say thank you or please because, you know, I was emailed on a Thursday that I was going there on Monday. I didn't have time to even do Duolingo, even if there is a Slovenian option. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it's polite to learn a little bit. Um, people will probably want to speak to you in English, depending on where you go. You know, most European countries have a very, very strong level of English, um, and a lot of countries worldwide do now. So you'll probably be fine, but you know, just just for politeness, I'd, I'd recommend definitely learning a few words before you before you get there. And um, kind of the last, last few questions. Do you? Th- I mean, you've you've got a lot of your work background involves the education system or working within schools. You've obviously come from um, going to doing Erasmus course, teaching abroad. You and me worked in a agency that worked with um, independent private schools. You're now working as a marketing manager for a school related marketing agency. Do you think because of all this background in education, you, it's going to be the long term career potentially or because that's obviously where you're settled into now? Yeah, I think it does interest me. I think I've always been into the education side and trying to <clears throat> get a better understanding of schools, education and improve young people's lives um I, I don't know if i'll necessarily stick stick by it forever but i think i found an area where i understand it well and i'm comfortable with it and i, I do enjoy it um but i guess there's always nothing to say that you wouldn't completely switch up one day and i think that's that's maybe what the traveler lifestyle gives you i think it gives you kind of a doesn't give you an exact answer to anything you know it's kind of a i don't know i don't i don't think too long term i think since i've been living abroad you know I'm approaching 30 myself in a couple of months but still always think you know I'm, I'm not ready to to stop just yet um so I don't know don't know what it holds no well I mean that that's always the exciting way to go about it I mean <laughs> just kind of kind of bouncing off of that it's a great segue into my next question obviously you're going into your 30s um as, as scary as it sounds it's not that bad um I always tend to smile but if you're looking back at you uh, <laughs> When you look back at your younger self now, like let's just say young Alex before he goes off to do, doing university and going off to do his Rasmus course, do you think that he would assume that you've seen the world and you've experienced so many different countries and cultures um, that you have? Or do you think it would be just as much of a, as a surprise to him then as it obviously was to you? I think it was obvious from even when I got to secondary school that I didn't, you know, I didn't want to stay in one place. I wanted to be moving away. I wanted to be doing everything in different countries i think maybe by now i probably would have expected to go a bit further afield so obviously most of my experience has been in europe you know i have traveled to to other places for a bit of time but you know maybe maybe a young if i was talking to my younger self i would say go a bit further you know do a year in somewhere that you're completely uncomfortable um do something completely different like you did for example um i think that that's always the thing you always kind of have that you know if you speak to someone who's gone and taught abroad in china or somewhere in Asia, potentially, they always think, oh, you, you took the easy option. You know, you went to, you went to Europe, you went to somewhere that people know and probably have a higher level of English. It's not so, not such a big move, but I think any move is a big move. You know, moving from Buckinghamshire to Norfolk, people are different. You know, you still feel, you still feel different to everybody else. So 
yeah, I'd say push yourself, um, maybe build up, you know, if you want to go to Europe first and then go further afield, see what you're comfortable with, but definitely give it a go. Oh, no, definitely. So what I tend to do um, at this point before we wrap it up is I have a couple of quick fire questions and these are things I just like you to see if they can just come to your head as quick as possible and just give your honest, honest answers. So what piece of advice would you give to someone who's just about to go traveling? Do as much as you can, you know, don't, don't say no to anything. If somebody says, do you want to go do this? Just say yes without thinking as long as, as, long as you're not putting yourself in danger or there's somebody in the back of a white van um just just say yes and jump into the experience okay and is there an item that you should probably insist people have either or an app on their phone or an item in their bag they have to take with them i don't know it's hard for me because when i went you know i was was 19 there wasn't probably the same amount of apps you know i was very much a person who didn't want a smartphone or anything when they first came out i still had a a rubbish nokia when i first went to spain um keep in touch with home you know making sure that you organize a chat with people. I think one thing I would say that since I've been traveling is I've probably lost a lot of friends back here. You know, when I was at university, I had two years. And when I went for a third year, when I came back, people were either gone or, you know, they'd had a year without me. They had new friends. Um, I'd say that's, that's the only thing. Try and keep in touch with people and try and maintain those friendships for if you do come back. Oh, I like that one. <laughs> so that was that sounds like such a bland response, but that was really nice. Um, was there a? Did you pick up or acquire a certain phrase? Let's say while you're in Barcelona, was there a certain phrase or bit of slang that became daily useful? <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. It was mostly from. So I had a class of teenagers in my second year in Barcelona. The first year I had them, they were kind of fifteen. You know, you know what fifteen years are old. They're just. Every time you ask a question, they say, yo que sé, tío, which means, what do I know, man? <laughs> and they would just constantly say, what do I know, man? What do I know, man? And then the other one was, oh, que palo, they would always say, which literally translates to what stick. And I think, what what on earth does that mean? And it means, basically means can't be asked. I can't be bothered. <laughs> so that's 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 the kind of thing you would learn. You know, and there's, there's loads. Um, the other one was, I remember teaching Italian kids in England um you're 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 quite a musical man as well actually you know you've humbled me by playing um the flossing song on your guitar which is a core memory (laughs) for me um but whilst you were out there whilst you were traveling is there was there a song that you always had on your little mp3 player i suppose back then that that brought you back home and in on the other side of it is there a song that you listen to now that takes you back to spain it's funny because when i was in spain it's going to sound really bad, but I almost rejected the music. I couldn't stand the kind of reggaeton music that all of it had the same, you know, it was all kind of the same party music. Every single song sounded exactly the same. So I rejected it. I actually really like it now, which is funny, uh, but I couldn't stand it while I was there. Um, I think any any song kind of brings you home. I was always a fan of a band called You Me at Sick when I was kind of 15, 16 years old. So listening to that just made me think of being a teenager back home you know I'm one of those people that still listens to the same music that I did when I was 15 um whether that's good or a bad thing no it's a lifestyle exactly that it's not a phase mom so yeah that takes takes me back and um obviously the the, probably the more exciting kind of final question is um where are you looking to go to next where's the next country that you're going to go see so I think the next one would be a more of a travel uh more of a travel but more like not not teaching you know go out there to to work a little bit kind of smaller jobs you know even if it's working in a cafe or anything i, I really don't don't mind i think I've, I've always kind of wanted to go to canada i'd, I'd really like to just do a, a year working holiday visa whatever you call it in canada mm. um english-speaking country but still completely different to being here um and kind of the the landscapes always excited me somewhere like australia um I think I'd love to just go and spend a year in Australia, sit in a camper van for a few months and forget the world, completely disconnect. I think that's really a place where, you know, I've never been there, but it's so huge that you feel like you could drive for a day and see nobody but some kangaroos. Um, so that's that's kind of what excites me. Oh, well, um, I, I can't blame you. Both, both those countries sound absolutely, absolutely stunning. And yeah, as, as you mentioned, um, spend a day, see no one, but see everything as well. But... 
Exactly. Um, Alex, I just want to say, first of all, thanks for thanks for coming on board. Thanks for giving me a bit of history about the um, Caliente language. Um, Catalan. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it means hot, hot or spicy. Maybe it's a bit, it's a bit Caliente. Depending yeah, on thanks for teaching me about the, uh, the hot and spicy language, giving me a little bit of history and obviously telling us a little bit about what it's like to obviously one, take on your Erasmus course in university as you're learning like Spanish, teaching in summer camps. And then, of course, in, enjoying those different kind of, you know, back and forth between places like Alicante and Barcelona. Um, but yes, th- th- thanks so much for sharing your story. And I suppose, um, are, are there any final words you want to impart on people about the, um, the Spanish culture or even just traveling in general? I think no one regrets any trips they've been on. You know, no one sits there and thinks, oh, I wish I hadn't gone to Barcelona or, you know, anywhere. You may not have the best time, but no one sits there and thinks, I wish I'd, I wish I'd never gone there. So take all the trips that you can, especially while you're young, make all the mistakes you can in your twenties. And yeah, you'll never look back and think, you'll only think, I wish I went to more places. Thank you for joining us today. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to the Tales from Travellers podcast to stay up to date on past and future episodes. I'm always looking to share new stories from expats and repats from all over the world. So please reach out if you'd like to share your story. You never know, your story could be the one that helps someone make that life-changing choice. You can find us on Instagram at Tales from Travellers. I'd love to hear your story, and more importantly, I'd love to share it with the world. I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks again for joining me, and until next time, happy travels.